Cradeline Network. I am the law, and this is the 30th episode of Big Mag One, the podcast where we patrol our way to the Judge Dread magazine. But that's not all. This is also the show where we discuss the Judge Dread branded specials, annuals, and yearbooks. And to that end, we're looking at the 1993 Judge Dread Mega Special. This is the sixth Dread special, and the prices once more stayed the same this year, £1.75. But enough about these pence and pounds, because I want to introduce my guest for this episode, Alex F. of the Heroes of 2000 AD blog. Welcome back. Hey, I'm back. Thanks for having me on again, comrade. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, before we get started, I definitely, again, want to plug your excellent blog, Essential Stop, if you want to learn more about these, you know, creators that have trod our boards here in our fair Prague and magazine, you know. Uh, well, thank you. It's woefully not updated in a long time, but I will, I will be addressing that soon. Hey, um, uh, you know, everybody, uh, like, yeah. there's a, over 100 entries in there, as I recall. Mm. And yeah, yeah, doing all right. But yeah. I have to say, it's starting to kind of wind down just because when you were trying to assess, um, you know, the thematic contributions of artists and writers who've maybe done like 50 stories, mm -hmm. that's not quite as much when you've got, you know, Dan Abnitz and John Wagner's, you've got thousands. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so it's starting to get harder for me to have anything intelligent to say, but maybe I can just. <laughs> put their name in a picture of what they've done <laughs> sure yeah but i think but yeah, a lot they... of it is really interesting i feel like we've we've joked before just about your site often being the the, the first thing that comes up for some of these guys just because <laughs> yeah. they aren't well recorded elsewhere you know and i feel like that's still super important just you know like i don't know i i read an article you did recently about eric bradbury because mm. um in our recording we've just or we're sort of as we're recording or in the in our timeline we're, we're just reaching the end of his time in 2000 ad and stuff and it was very sort of just fun to hear about you know just to go in depth about his style and what you look for as for for him as an artist and stuff mm. for instance yeah he's a he's a classic one that did loads of comics and people love him but no one's really written about him online but i guess he didn't have the best 2000 ad experience because he basically just did lots of tharg stories and yeah, I mean, yeah. even now that he, yeah, even now that he's gone from 2008 from the Progs, he'll still be in in specials and annuals. Yeah, doing those those Tharg mm. stories, and like he, his last story was like a terror tale and stuff. Like they sort of they had him for a specific thing, but yeah, I agree, he's definitely somebody who mm. I feel like. I, I wonder if editorial felt like he was a dinosaur or something, or did it like one of these old guys they had to deal with or something like that? I mean, I, I'd like to think that there was also a bit of they really liked his art and wanted to just give him something to do, although they couldn't really work out what that would be. I could see that. Yeah. I, I I hope mm. that's true as well, actually. <laughs> you know, yeah. just saying it for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's some, you know, they're clearly trying out some new artists in this special that we've got here. There's some kind of people that we might never see again, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, yeah, this is a very, this is actually like, besides just its style, it's a very experimental um, special. But but before we get to that, I just want to, I, mm. I, I, I wanted to ask sort of, I, I, I know in the past we've talked about your 2080 history. I'd, I'm wondering mm. if you remember where you were with the progs and the megs here in 93 i guess I mean, this sort of oh, later era like this is like this kind of early 90s is kind of my 
deep abiding love for 2000 AD at its kind oh, nice. of height. Because I guess so nine, summer 93, I might have just turned 15, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd been like kind of reading for maybe three years and kind of felt like I was old enough to actually understand some of these stories at last and think that I was cool. <laughs> Um, and I was quite like the magazine in particular, I had a kind of very kind of odd relationship with in that I bought the first ever magazine on a school field trip somewhere to read on the coach. And I was like, uh, at that time, I guess I was maybe 12. And I was like, this is too grown up for me. There was kind of naked people in America. <laughs> and the judge death story was pretty gnarly. And then I kind of didn't buy anymore because I thought oh, this is a bit scary. And then I was kind of tricked into buying volume two because I wanted to read Judgment Day because it was fun. Mm, yeah, that's, and then uh, at that point, that's I what I get you, my parents for sure. to, to pay for a, like a, you know, they would put it on their newspaper list. So we'd get 2008 and the magazine just kind of automatically and they didn't stop it. So I kind of, and it was very much like this period of magazine was me picking it up, reading it all and trying to understand it and really finding it hard because this was a pretentious <laughs> time in comics. And that, you know, I, David mm. Bishop is a kind of a bit of a hero because he, he worked really hard to kind of try and desperately bring new people into the fold. But I think he gave them perhaps more rope than they deserved sometimes. He kind of let people just really go off on one. Um, and I, I don't know. I think I did buy this special at the time and couldn't make any sense of it. And, yeah, it's pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, there's like some – yeah, there's some interesting stuff in these stories of just um, – I don't know. I'm surprised to find in a comic book in 1993, I guess, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I kind of, I, I guess, because 2008 was the main comic I was reading. I don't know that I appreciated kind of how, I, I want to say ahead of its time it was. I don't know if that's fair, but or just maybe it was just very of its time. But there's a lot of stuff about serial killers and and whatnot. And I remember reading Swimming in Blood, the dev, first Devlin Moore story, and all mm-hmm. I could think of was it just felt like a Silence of the Lambs ripoff. And having sort of read it since a few times, it's not. But I can sort of see why you know 13, 14 year old me thought that maybe it was just because if you panels or bits oh, of imagery. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, especially when there's people any... People were clearly into serial killers in the early 90s. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's something I I've, I know I've talked about that a little bit, just going through a lot of this stuff. Yes, yeah, you can really feel... I, I thought actually in the action special that we talked about, that I talked about sort of at the end of 92. Well, that, that's another one I did not understand in 1992. Because, <laughs> well, that, that one just seems tough because I, like, again, like, I just don't... I wonder how much, like, cultural knowledge knowledge of like <laughs> comics from the 60s a kid in the 90s would have like you can't even like go on wikipedia or anything about it no, you just have to hope that, that your dad can tell you about it or something yeah. <laughs> but yeah this yeah. is definitely the air er- that era of the serial killer generally i think and of the um of of hannibal lecter and anthony hopkins's portrayal of him sort of specifically mm. is is getting big also like I don't know the cool hitman. I guess like of yes. that sort yeah, of yeah. Reservoir Dogs. Is show up if um, he hasn't already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh yeah, he just did actually. <laughs> he yeah, just did. Okay, <laughs> or he's just about to. I think, but still, yeah, very close. Yeah, again, just yeah, that all these things that feels just so '90s to me. I guess of just like this is what we're into right now. You know, the Cold War is over. We're into bad guys, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, and there's also definitely something about the the art. So, you know, this was the era in my head when the magazine kind of was at its most difficult to make sense of sometimes. You had some artists that just couldn't seem to tell you what was happening from panel to panel. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you're going to have lots of fun trying to recap 
later episodes of Cal Have Justice when it just goes mad. But, um, I definitely, yeah. <laughs> this one I mean, actually, this this the special story makes some sense. <laughs> Enjoy. Yeah, it I got a sense of it. Yeah, but I I definitely like you know before I started this podcast, I'd read the first thousand or so progs and the related the magazine up to that era as well, and I definitely okay, remember so being. You have had a go. <laughs> yeah, like I I mean uh, uh, enough to know exactly what you're talking about. I guess <laughs> just in, in terms of like. You know, remembering these stories and remembering and thinking like, huh, like, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not so sure what's going on here. Yeah. Um, but and then there's this special itself, which um, has the uh, love hate theme, and I kind of, again, I quite appreciate kind of David Bishop for sort of saying, well, let's try something where we commission stories that are theoretically showing judge as well, but from a point of view of love and hate, which some people have tried harder than others to follow <laughs> yeah i mean we're we like i feel like many of the recent specials have sort of had a very vague theme uh, or like a theme where like it's more there like actually going back to eric bradbury like the like he'll do a tharg story that's extremely about that theme and then everybody oh, really? everybody else it's like maybe if you squint your eyes just right <laughs> it'll it'll fit in here like I think this one does have more connections to the themes than to to the theme than other specials that I've seen definitely, and I do think it's an interesting way of doing things for sure. Mm. It's definitely it, it, it's it's actually a really interesting difference. Just this special and the two thousand eight and the sci fi special we talked about, or that I looked at earlier in the week, um, which is very much a very standard feeling special with a with also a lot of reprints and stuff. Mm. This one does feel like they're trying to do something a little bit heavier with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't uh, quite remember when the change happened with the judge red mega special, but this one is definitely a judge red magazine like special. It has mm -hmm. you know, lots of the same writers and some of the same artists and it's got characters in it that would only have been in the magazine before. So it's absolutely. Yeah. yeah and so. the, uh, and like the table of contents that opens this up is very similar to what's in the magazine right now, for instance. Ah, yeah. Right. Um, it's very connected to that as well. Yeah. I think it's very cool that, um, I don't know that you're a pro '90s person. I guess. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think I probably agree with most 2008 fans that the worst stories have were around <laughs> in that time. But because I was at the age when it was like, no, this is now my comic, and I'm going to kind of every time Tharg said, now this new lineup is going to be the best we've ever had. I was like, okay, I'm going to believe you. <laughs> nice. I think yeah. Yeah, I've told this story before. I think maybe not to you, but I remember when the first new robo hunter story ran and i kind of didn't kind of understand it and it was bad and i didn't believe that it could be bad because i loved robo hunter so much so i tried to read it again and again until it was good but it, it never was <laughs> that's tough yeah we're yeah. we're just finishing up that um that mark miller run on on robo hunter and it's yeah. it's been tough <laughs> so i think that was my um that kind of braced me so you know when everyone else had the kind of phantom menace disappointment i was already primed by robo hunter so mm. 
<laughs> that's really interesting. Yeah, I just think it's I just think it's a, a big di- like I don't know. I I talk I talk to a lot, end up talking to, to a lot of prog oners and stuff, and mm. very like we're in the era where people sort of stop reading 2000 AD for for a while and then come back to it later in life or something like that. Mm. I think like that's a pretty common story. So it's interesting to hear from folks that are sort that yeah. where this is their era. If that I guess I'm a meg wanna maybe I should think of myself. Ooh, as yeah. <laughs> Well, that makes sense. Volume, volume water. Who's to say? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Oh man. So let's get into this. Into, mm. Let's get into this special. It'll be fun. I don't let's know. Do we'll it. give it a shot at least. Before we do, though, I should mention that. Um, so we've we're coming in, into this one having just finished uh, with the magazine volume two issue twenty six. So we're about a third, or yeah, about a third of the way through, through the fortnightly right now. We've just finished. Mechanismo 2, we're about to start oh, cool. um, okay. Childhood's End, um, that Anderson story. That, that I remember, that was, that's a good one. I mean, I, yeah, I think it is still good. It was amazing at the time. I, I don't know if it's quite held up so well, but... I even reread it, so I'm interested to mm. see it for sure, but I remember that one being interesting as well, yeah. And definitely one that gets mentioned a lot when you talk about these sort of... Mm. I don't think that one's a Ranson one, but still sort of these like... Um, no, it's Kevin era. Walker. I think, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. ABC There's, style. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. This um, these more um esoteric Anderson stories. I guess. <laughs> Where if you yeah, if you like Walker, Ranson, Roach, he's sort of big three of 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 Anderson's uh, mm. Anderson um artists, I guess. And then there's this thing with the magazine that um, David Bishop loved to endlessly run polls, asking people what they liked best and what they liked least, and he would always publish the results that was kind of in a way that so i never knew whether 2008 stories were popular or not but you always knew that people loved anderson and devlin war because david bishop kept telling us that he had proof to back it up <laughs> absolutely yeah it, we just saw the um the 92 version of that and it was sort of interesting because they did the 91 one as well as you mentioned mm. and sort of i think it's funny that in the initial poll the favorite story was was a young death and then america mm. was like in second place and sort of over the last yeah, that, year america moved up to first kind of you know, i don't know yeah <laughs> <laughs> The canon sorting itself out, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, I, so this, so this, um, as we sort of mentioned, this special split into two sections, um, with two covers, and you sort of flip them over basically to get it either side. Um, on one side is love, and the other side is hate, and I guess all the stuff I've seen has love being sort of the official cover. Of this one, mm. so let's start with uh, with that sto- with, with that section of the comic. I actually looked at the, the Barney listing, and it not only does it have love as the official cover, it doesn't even acknowledge that the hate side exists. It only lists half the stories that are actually I mean, in here. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a, a yeah, rare that, empty entry on Barney. Definitely, yeah. I, I I found the Barney listings to be very um f- very frustrating for this one, the two thousand eight dot org one, just because there are all like. One, this is sort of an unusual publication, and it has a lot of people working under pseudonyms as well. So, ah. like, I, it had information that I could have used, but was not <laughs> available. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But yeah, um, 
So we've got a shaky cane drawing a redhead embracing Judge Dredd as a city block burns behind them and text on the side listing all of these um, stories with like evocative log lines and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, it's um, romance comics from the fifties. Yeah, guess. the the inside cover even like credits it as Shaky Kane after Kirby. These sort of mm-hmm. like classic J- J- Jack Kirby romance co- uh, comic covers from like the fifties and sixties, mm-hmm. where it's it's always like a man and a woman embracing, and the woman having like a thought bubble that says like, "But he doesn't know my <laughs> ch- my terrible secret choke." <laughs> like the yes, yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm trying to imagine what Dreads thought bubble would be but it wouldn't be anything to do with that yeah dread's just tallying up the uh the infractions for hugging an officer i think (laughs) you know definitely (laughs) i'm also interested that it it, it actually says shaky cane after kirby when basically every piece of work he's ever done should say after kirby on it definitely right yeah (laughs) that sort of alternate alternate um evolution from jack kirby stuff for sure But so from there, let's get started with these dang thrills, starting with Thrill One, Kinky Boots. <laughs> Script about Robbie Morrison, art about Paul Grist, lettering about Tom Frame. It's the first time we're seeing artist Paul Grift. He's better known for indie comics like Kane and Jack Staff in the UK. And he's mm. worked with uh, writers like Grant Morrison and Mark Miller elsewhere. And if you're a more modern reader of the magazine, then he did the uh, the Demon Next story in 2015. There, he's a he's a top artist. Yeah, it's um, it's a shame he didn't do more for 2018. But I can sort of see why because his his style's perhaps a bit too something. I don't know. Yeah, it <laughs> doesn't fit in enough. with I guess the the the, the standard. Mm. Like dread style, I guess it's 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 got kind of a cartoony look almost, I'd say. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, he's fun. And Kinky Boots, I'm assuming that was a hit single, probably about the time that this came out, which is where he got the name from. Oh, you're uh, probably right, Odo. <laughs> uh, I can't remember who did it now, but um, maybe it'll appear in one of your podcast intros <laughs> in 1993. <laughs> oh man, I hope so. <laughs> These are fun. <laughs> these are fun songs, um, but so um, yeah. So we see a lady in a black mini dress with thigh high boots compliment the big furry boots of a random mega citizen. But when he goes to hit on her, he gets snagged in the crotch by an umbrella and kicked in the face. And we got some kind of like there these. This this couple there's a, a dude in a suit and a slinky lady called Mr. Speed and Mrs. Peeler, very UK Avengers kind of thing going on here. Yes. To hundred percent UK Avengers. <laughs> yeah, Steed and Peel, etc. Mm. Um the citizen draws a knife, but a gun pops out of Speed's bowler hat. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's kind then, of like how it fits in there. We don't ask. <laughs> no, it's a very sort of Inspector Gadget kind of thing, I guess, if they have that over there. Um, but they shoot this guy and then steal his shoes and head back to the Boot Hill block, which is shaped like a boot. Mm-hmm. She mentioned, of course, Boot Hill is like a Old West Cemetery and stuff like that. In their palatial apartment full of just shelves upon shelves of of boots and shoes and other things, Mrs. Peeler tries on a series of boots. Um, And I noticed one of them is a Wonder Woman's uh, red boots with a little M shape in there. Mm. And uh, (laughs) each one affects 
what's his name? Speed a little He's bit more. <laughs> very into it. into it. Absolutely. Just banging his head on the floor by the end of it. This is like, I don't know. It's, it's funny to see the confirmation of like foot fetish stuff in 1993, yeah. I guess. It seems so internet to me. That <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised to see it in a, in a slightly pre-internet era or, or early days of the internet era. They yeah, love these kinky boots. <laughs> I'm actually just looked up that song, Kinky Boots, and it turns out it was it's a 60s song that was specifically about the Avengers. So, oh, um, hmm. and I think yeah. Um, I mean, I, I I seem to remember them being on TV in the UK about that time because I, mm-hmm. I I watched some episodes and I obviously wasn't alive in the 60s, so they must have done. Oh, I'm sure uh, it's in. I mean, mm-hmm. th- that era of reruns. I mean, I feel like mm-hmm. not. Not so much the Avengers, but I definitely know about like I've 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 got a knowledge of a bunch of '60s TV shows just because they mm. played them on TV during the time, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch, or I guess like Charlie's Angels, which is sort of our version, the U.S. version of the Avengers, I guess. Okay. In terms of spy craft with a sexy yeah, yeah, lady, yeah. I guess. <laughs> But so they love these kinky boots, but they are questing for the sexiest boots of all, the rarest of all, which are, of course, the boots of Judge Dredd. That's a, there's an awesome panel just to fall, like just showing Dredd's boot with his lawgiver stuck in it. Yeah, in his ankle holster. Nice and, yes, and then yeah. in front of the boot hill block. Sure. So it's like mm-hmm. double boot action here. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. The lawman himself appears and he hears like a cry for help and responds. But when he approaches Boot Hill, instead he gets hit in the neck with a whip and pulled off his bike. And those dang uh, kink Avengers come and like pull off one of his shoes. Grud boot fanatics. (laughs) (laughs) He's met them before. He's definitely heard. You got to imagine that the judges are all worried about this, you know. Yeah. Like it's like stealing a Bobby's helmet or something, but mm. it's creepier because you know what they're going to do with those boots, and that's not cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't you want know. that. <laughs> also, they're in heel lane in a tunnel as, mm. as they do this. Um, yeah, they grab his boot, revealing that J- Dread in this case is wearing a red sock with um, judge badges around the ankle part. He escapes, uh, dodging bowler gun fire, and eventually, yeah. oh, good. And he's doing a half die hard because he's got one shoe on and one shoe off. But Absolutely, he has to run <laughs> totally. Yeah, shoot the glass for sure. Actually, they they do shoot <laughs> they do. some glass, but he's got the sock. It gives him powers. You know, <laughs> this always. This makes me think back actually to uh, to Prague 500, I think, when um, Whitey came back and made Dread drop, drop all of his equipment, including his boots, and then he had stripy socks. So it's so oh, interesting. Yeah, that's, uh, it's good to know their sock fashion is allowed to change as they see fit. <laughs> it seems like it. Like that's the one, no one can see him, so it might be the one thing that Dread allows himself to indulge in or something like that. <laughs> um. Yeah, so he finds his way to Speed and Peeler's apartment. He hides over like their door jam as they come walking in. And then he jumps, jumps down, crushes the bowler hat gun, and judo throws Peeler into a big pile of shoes. Speed's gun files, wa- fires wildly and damages the toe of one of, of Peeler's shoe. Oh no! <laughs> 
Don't do that. It's shocking. Because of this, they come along quietly, um, both riding on Dredd's bike. Um, Peeler's in behind Dredd and says that that hussy drove him to evil. (laughs) (laughs) And Dredd says, there's nothing kinky about the law. As he rides with Peeler splayed over his lap, her her, her bethonged behind Mm. flapping in the wind. It's a very Robbie Morrison image. I, I know you haven't started Nikolai Dante and you won't for a while, but that is, that's proto Dante if ever there was one. Just any excuse to get a, some female buttocks. Honestly, it also reminds me of, um, I think the last time you were on here, we did that carry <laughs> yeah, on judging, which is a very yeah, similar yeah, yeah. end to this one. You're right. Yeah, yeah. It's a carry on ending. Hmm. <laughs> what, what is that? Yeah. Weird coincidences, <laughs> I guess. All right. Yeah. Anyway, so the love theme is love of boots. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, it's re- it's related to um, the love, the footwear and the love that it inspires, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And I guess speaking of having a deep love of um, complex things, let's go to Thrill 2 2080 Special Index. Which I'm afraid is something that was not included in the digital version Oof. I have, but I, I know you have a physical copy. So I, I have a physical copy. It's take I the can wheel tell for this you, one. Uh, it's four pages of Mike Butcher telling you everything in detail that was in every special, starting from the super special super comic all the way to the the 1992 winter special. Uh-huh. It says it's bigger than a galactic groat, often 68 times as thick. It has borne six very different logos and has ranged in price from 30 pence in 1977 to £2.35 in 1992. So there you go. It's the sort of stats that you love and that we love to hear about. Um, he Absolutely. picks out a few things to, to mention. So he's, he's very impressed with a really old story where Dan Dare finds some space frogs that I've mm-hmm. never seen before. Um, and uh, he singles out Phantom Patrol as being... The reprint to end all reprints, and he didn't like it. <laughs> and then there's a weirdly, he contrasts that with his favorite moment from a special, which is um, the story with Judge Corey, where she kills herself. Mm. Only somehow, in showing that panel in the same context of Phantom Patrol, he kind of rather takes some of the sting out of it. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> that is. Um, and then, um, I mean. Yeah, I'm not going to read you through the list of everything that he mentions. He mostly kind of holds back from anything, kind of any commentary in the actual listings of what's in the specials. Mm-hmm. Although he's got, it's just possible that there are some, he's managed to uncover some like writing and artist credits in his list that weren't originally in the original specials that may not be on Barney. So, Oh, interesting. You know, yeah, I'd love to some possibility yeah. that it's a resource. I should um, probably get a physical then, a physical copy just to see that stuff yeah. for sure. And he, he, he has a little... Um, it's, it, as these kind of you know big indexes go, this is pretty inoffensive because it's really only four pages of text, mm-hmm. and he even manages to squeeze in a kind of a, a little column about like facts from the specials, just kind of you know for his own amusement really. But he points out things like the first ever time anyone saw Nemesis the Warlock was in this '81 special, right. and not in the prog. Um, yeah, that sword sinister story for sure. Um, and. Uh, he mentions that they did some pinups as long ago as the 78 sci-fi special. I know I, I'm definitely remembering that you're going to be getting to the notorious magazine issue soon that came with a, a pinup. 
magazine bagged in it <laughs> that I hope your digital copies include because you need to talk about that one. <laughs> I'm sure Absolutely. Eli will be shocked. Oh, yeah, no. Let's... <laughs> Eli's ready. Eli's up for whatever. It's going to be exciting, I think. But yeah, no, definitely, you know, try to be as complete as possible when we go through this stuff. Um, there's an upcoming episode where we where we talk about this, um, a special edition of like, or a, a little eight page preview of like the Sonic comic that came with 2000 wow. AD on, over on Space Spitter. So, you know, we're trying to try to talk about everything as we see it for sure. Yeah. Um, the, the final note, in the specials well actually two final notes one is that he points out that there have been at least two stories that started off in specials and have been reprinted in later specials and then he kind of wonders which single character has had the most pin-up posters and it is of course Tharg the Mighty because he loves himself Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like yep. again, yeah, just we're doing a specials. So yeah. It's it 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 it's it like there was an era where they yeah, where they just did a bunch of like Tharg's D and D character basically <laughs> <laughs> appearing in the specials and stuff. Yeah. Um but yeah, if you want to know what's in all the specials, this is in fact even more detailed than Barney. Awesome. Yeah, so, no, that sounds know? yeah, definitely yeah, and I, and in comparison to the again the sci-fi special this year, this seems like an inoffensive amount of filler. Mm. And again, I feel like this stuff actually is useful, actually, especially for the specials, which are more obscure than the progs. I think even especially yeah. in this era, just there, it's hard to get hands on them and hard for people to talk about them. I think. I mean, I guess if there's one thing that it would be kind of useful that he doesn't seem to have done, or maybe he wouldn't know, is. The, you know, there's a handful of stories in specials that you think it would be really useful to read that story in the context of a, the rest of a series. Like most of the stories in these specials are just complete one-offs. Mm -hmm. But there, you know, every now and then, like there's that Judge Corey story, or there's some Nemesis and um, Tyranny Rex. I seem yeah. to remember. If you haven't read the specials, you'll be well confused why she's a nun suddenly. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Those are definitely ones where I know I didn't read them and was confused in my first go through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah yeah and the and and the judge Corey one especially just because that's such mm. a big part of anderson right and mm. to sort of have Corey go from a character that that he's friends with to sort of essentially dying off screen if you don't have the special is a can, is is a tough one to figure out for sure yeah well um, i guess uh speaking of people uh, <laughs> finding um finding their meaning in life in my case it's, it's podcasting these dang uh <laughs> specials and 2080s and magazines and stuff let's go to thrill three young love script robot jim alexander art robot siku letting robot gordon robson so this is a this is a strange case which are the early mm. magazine versions of future shocks i guess generally kind of creepy style yeah um and yeah the only possible connection to anything to do with the world of judge dread that i can see is a picture of a city block and the fact that they're all wearing blue leather clothes that look a bit like judge uniforms <laughs> yeah definitely uh, these guys aren't judges i don't think oh no i wish yeah <laughs> they sort of i mean and, and this one dude has like they they do kind of have a elbow and knee patty kind of a look a little bit at yeah. least yeah. Have we seen Siku before? Have you Yes, he's just started to show up on in uh, mm -hmm. in the magazine in uh, 92 Right, right. So yeah, this must be. It's very early. He gets a very lot early stuff. Yes, very rough stuff from him here. And I feel yeah, we're sort of. He's one of these artists whose style I feel like we will definitely see evolve in the pages of of the magazine for sure. And of course, Jim Alexander mostly we know from uh, from from Calhab. Right. 
So a young man named Ken has chosen his life's career path, which is to be a psychopath on a death wish. And he's going along with his with his gal Deidre, who's com- who's convinced she has a terminal disease, and they've decided to go out with a bang. But when they burst into some into the into the Roberts family's apartment in the Terrence Malick block, oh, they've already been killed and stuffed in the fridge. Oh, geez, ain't that the way? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so Terrence Malick, maybe it's a Badlands reference, uh, which is a film about a young couple that go on a. A crime yeah, spree. I think that sounds right. Um, um, but, you know, that's classy and this is anything but. <laughs> <laughs> Very, like, just rushing through, I guess. But, yeah. Um, but so Deidre sees this as a sign that they shouldn't do a bunch of crime spree murders, I guess. <laughs> so instead they go and turn their weapons in to the amnest to the judge, the judicial amnesty station and decide to live a life of calm happiness and so they go for a walk in their city blocks parkland simulation they embrace at the sunset but we see that Ken's holding a big knife behind Deidre's back because he never thought he could feel this way and that's cuz he can't cuz he's actually a killer or something and a bloody <laughs> heart sets over the horizon <laughs> i mean yeah this is nonsense isn't it absolutely <laughs> <laughs> i can sort of see what he was going for like they're trying to just kind of you know do a vibe of like this kind of young man who just genuinely wants to murder but yeah, this is very 1993. Yeah, they just—they didn't. I feel like they didn't do enough to like mm. make him yeah. seem like a killer. I guess and be, before he goes back to do it or something. Like I don't know. I mean, the, the, it can't be what they intended in in like this early in the 90s. But there's something amusing about a woman opens a fridge and finds a dead body, and it motivates her to change her exciting life of crime into a quiet life well indeed i was going to talk about thing is usually the opposite (laughs) i was going to talk about that in our next story which also has some fridging in it actually but yeah the uh, it does yeah (laughs) the the incident that that causes that that like creates that term happens in 1994 in a green lantern story so it hasn't even happened yeah so it was only it was 90s but okay so it hasn't even happened yet no but it is still but 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 i saw that too that it is funny (laughs) 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 to put a victim in a refrigerator refrigerator and then indeed like you said yeah that it motivates in this case it motivates a woman to change her life as opposed to a man i don't know um but yeah i don't know i guess speaking of victims and refrigerators though let's move briskly along to thrill for devil and one uh scripture about john smith art about sean phillips and this is the text story oh no is and yes art robot is a, a generous word for one picture that is then photocopied a few times and yeah. then and then maybe some, two some pictures re- i don't know <laughs> well i think and many of the two pictures are 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 in fact reuses from um, <laughs> from swimming in blood i believe <laughs> <laughs> i mean why not you don't do tech stories because you want to spend money yeah exactly yeah our tech stories that they're the art of the possible you know it's what we have lying around i think <laughs> But so I should say the text for this t- for this or the typeface for this text story is very small. Like you, you know, I had to zoom in t- for my aching old eyes. Here. <laughs> um, yeah, they could have filled more pages. Yeah, imagine that they didn't. <laughs> mm. 
<laughs> None of that double spaced stuff that you've had to endure in some. Yeah, it's weird because, yeah, the text is small, but the spaces between paragraphs are large. There is a little bit of like some, um, you know, as always with these text stories, there's a little bit of like it's the night before the uh, the, the, the night before my paper is due and I got to get this <laughs> get this page requirement just right kind of formatting and stuff like that. Um, so this story, it, it alternates perspectives between Devlin Waugh and a, and a lovesick super fan of his and how we sort of she sort of talks about moving through various Mega City One fandoms, eventually getting to Devlin. Like she sort of starts with Dread, which most kids do, apparently, and then she <laughs> becomes a death fan. And that's like a goth phase, basically. And then eventually she makes her way to Devlin. But now he's become a vampire and it's basically like when you're a fan of a celebrity and then they go in a direct in an or in a creative or look direction that you don't like, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of, it is, you know, it's a fun idea. I, th I, I feel I, the when I read it, I don't know if I just didn't read a, a pronoun here or there, but I feel like it was a sort of a twist that it was a girl who was in love with him by the end. Um Maybe I don't know. I, feel, you know, you know, yeah. I, I think at this point, you know, he's there's no secret that he's gay, and certainly a big part of this story is all his kind of a string of ex-boyfriends of his. But mm -hmm. I, I guess like maybe they were still being a little bit coy about it in '92. I don't know. I think they are because the because when they talk about like Devlin's relationships and stuff like that, like the, mm. like there's sort like the opening section of Devlin, he talks like. Um, the, the story starts with um, the stalker sort of talking about killing this guy named Guy, basically. Mm -hmm. And then Devlin sort of reflects on how he met Guy and the time they spent and stuff. And they talk about how, like, the way they met and stuff, it all is very, like, I don't know, like, coded or double entendre-like yeah. for them. I mean, having he's, a, he's having got a, an early adopter of aubergine, that's for sure. Exactly. Yeah, they sort of talk about how they spent time in, how, like, he introduced him to eating aubergines, how, you know, um, they'd become, he said, it says, like, they'd become friends under the pier, water around their knees, listening to the creek and groan of moored yachts that they'd mm. gone to a restaurant and it's all this stuff where like i guess theoretically you could just see them as like oh yeah they're just good friends enjoying different <laughs> things if you yeah. really wanted to as opposed to you know <laughs> a little bit more innuendo for these sorts of things you know um it is mild notable that it, you know when she mentioned her objections one of her string is eddie whiteman who is in fact a character that John Smith will come back to in a later Devlin War story. Oh, interesting. So yeah. Passing mention here. But yeah, he turns up um, when Devlin moves briefly to 2000 AD, he turns up in that story. So watch out for that name. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. This this cult figure strain, this fringe celebrity that she was into yeah. until, and, and, yeah. until, he re, um, until she got into Devlin, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> But so, um, anyway, eventually, and, and here's where I mentioned also that, yeah, um, got, like guy was sort of flayed to the waist and his arms and feet were found in a refrigerator and stuff, which is again, it's just a weird little thing. Mm. But so it, it culminates in, um, Devlin coming home and like, or sort of Devlin spent some time, spent some time with his houseboy as well. Um, wrestling practice, quote unquote. <laughs> um, yeah. 
But then he comes home and finds the missing heads of all of his former lovers sort of underneath those like uh, fancy serving domes and stuff. His houseboy's been murdered. But before the stalker can kill him, he like they like lock eyes and then she throws up and faints. And so all Devlin can do is like call the judges and lament another anticlimactic experience in his life. Like, oh, when will there be a true climax? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty John Smith. But, you know, I like this story for what it is. I just hate that it's a tech story. I mean, this is very much where, like, I was joking to someone else about this actually elsewhere, but this is the era where basically every special, every and everything that they put out has a John Smith text story <laughs> where he describes some sort of violent murder or mutation or something like that. Like, he's really ju- just earning his, earning his keep by, 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 by slapping these things out, basically. Yeah. He'll do a Rogue Trooper themed one. He's done a bunch of Dread ones, a bunch of uh, Indigo Prime ones as well. Mm. Just all this stuff. And so Devlin, Def- uh, Devlin was at least partially, I feel like, exists just to give him excuses to um, <laughs> write, we- to have a basis for for weird body horror stories in um, in drug- in in magazine related uh, uh, publications as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I guess yeah, it's, up, yeah, go ahead, please. Sorry, I was just going to say it's not bad. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. No, I thought this was fun. I, you know, again, I like the change, the different perspectives and stuff. And as these Mega City One stories go, I feel like Devlin was honestly maybe a stronger subject of them than Dread, just because I feel like Dread doesn't have that much of an inner life. So doesn't That's really true. gain yeah, that yeah. much from a, from a prose format, whereas I feel like Devlin, De- Devlin does, I think. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a good. You know, it, it's it is it's a story about love from a mega city point of view, where you know it's a it's a horrible, twisted kind of love with someone being obsessed. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of another kind of mega city love, a virtual love that you can never actually touch. Let's go to <laughs> Thrill Five Science King Pest Control. <laughs> uh, script robot Cy Spencer, art robot Shaky Kane, lettering robot Gordon Robson. Uh, early days for Cy Spencer here as well. Mm. Um, yeah, hot, it must yeah, be one of his first as well, because I guess he's... Yeah, I mean, he's still I, working in the magazine to this day, for sure, like on the returners and stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, and I don't, did he do... Was it Hark and Burr, his first thing? Yes. Maybe? Yeah, yeah we're anyway. just... Or I think he did some... He did one or two. He did something before Harkin Burr, I think. But he's that's a, we're about to get to that in the magazine next episode, right. actually. So uh-huh. making our way through. It's a hot night in the in the mega city, and a woman named Lee is using a Science King VR to summon a studly Lee judge. With three E's. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right, Lee. <laughs> future future name. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how you know it's futuristic. Whatever. <laughs> Um, but so she's stum- summoning a studly, mostly naked judge to make out with. She's in the William Potter block, which was a reference I couldn't really figure out, I guess. No, it doesn't mean anything to me either, but I'm yeah. sure it must mean something to someone. <laughs> and across the street is the Carl Putnam block, which I also drew a blank on. Um, but there we see a man named Jack, and he remembers five years ago when Lee left him. And now I guess he's like hacking into her VR experience, it seems like. 
so that like she's making out mm. with this judge and then he's the judge that she's making out with, I guess. Yeah, I guess he's like, he's hacked into her kind of, yeah, her VR system is definitely what they're trying to show how that would work. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> mm. And then like a moth flies in and that is unrelated to this stuff, I guess, but also a silence of the lambs. He just, cause of the style and look of this moth, I guess. <laughs> yeah. like death's head moth adjacent, I guess. But, um, it flies into the VR system, which like causes things to short out and whatever, Jack gets heavy feedback and it sort of ends Lee's fantasy. So mm-hmm. Jack goes to fix his gear as Lee gets hers uh, serviced and then has a has a pest zapper installed as well. Yeah. Soon they're once again uh, making out virtually, but that moth also again flies in and gets zapped causing an explosion and Lee's like I've had enough of that of this VR stuff maybe I should call Jack again now that was a real man but then <laughs> we see that the flow of feedback has caused Jack to turn into some kind of fly-headed dude Ooh. oh no help me <laughs> I mean yeah you can't Telling the words of this story doesn't explain just what Shaky Kane is doing with the pictures, where he's just having an excuse to show some crazy, like Lee's, I don't know, virtual sex outfit with its holes in the armpits, and the Science King hacking machine that is like a full bodysuit with a flying saucer on your head. It's, yeah, there's some beautiful stuff going on here. Absolutely. Like all these little things of just like everybody's big sneakers and stuff like that. I'm sort of noticing as well. Like there's definitely a lot of like really interesting art notes if you want to check them out in in the course of this story for sure. (laughs) And it's just you get, you know, it's not necessarily Judge Dredd, but it might as well be topless Judge Dredd. Yeah, it's it's a judge, so you can choose yeah. to think that it's Dredd if you wish, but he doesn't. He he doesn't have any. Dis, once he gets his uniforms off, at this point, he doesn't have any dis, distinguishing characteristics, you know. No, <laughs> but the helmet stays on. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, that just saves the video game makers time rendering <laughs> the uh, the the makeout subject or something, you know. Yeah, very weird. But also kind of fun. I don't know, but that brings us to the end of the love section here. Yeah. Uh, the two sections are divided by a double page by uh, Mark Wilkinson of just a bunch of skulls and uh, dread badges. It kind of looks like, I would call this like uh, Judge Dread themed wrapping paper or something yes. like that. Yeah, <laughs> with a sort of lightning flash slash nerve cell structure yeah going down yeah in in the background there yeah very weird yeah i kind of wonder if he'd if he'd made the dread badges heart shaped it could have been like a love and hate themed something but Mm. maybe that wouldn't work i don't know anyway once you start changing the badge that's too much i feel like i don't know respect the badge that's right yeah you earned it with his blood (laughs) now with his love you know But so that then takes us, let's flip this thing over and go back to the front. Mm-hmm. So you talk about the second half of this thing, hate. <laughs> and the hate this section is, again. Oh, go ahead, please. I was just going to say, this is possibly the single weirdest Judge Dredd cover 
that's ever been. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's art by Chris Halls, and it's just dread like, I don't know, walking through past a bunch of uh, like malformed mutant dudes. There's some dude, there's one guy with a lot of like stitching and scar tissue on his face, and a guy with a bunch of hooks going through his chest, and one of the hooks has a little dude on it or something. Oh, yeah, yeah no, someone like couple... doing a sort of a weird dive, and then yeah. Judge Hershey is kind of at the bottom <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> right, and like, like Dred's got like I think it's stubble on his chin or like some sort of human version of the uh, Iscara um, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dread outline, you know. <laughs> I think it's stubble though. But yeah, very weird <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, that takes us again into the um, uh, inside cover table of credits, which has a barbed wire background, and then into our next story: Thrill Six Hate. Ink. Scripted by John Smith, art robot Bennett, letting robot Tom Frame. Um, and there again, this hate section actually has a lot of mysterious artists I found. Um, starting with this guy, Barney lists the name as Manual B, and I just couldn't, I couldn't I figure think, out who it was. I, th- I mean, it's definitely the same artist who will do Mechanismo Book Three, which we'll be reading soon. And I think his name is just Manuel Bennett, and possibly okay. he's Brazilian. Um, but as far as I know, he does those these Judge Dredd stories, and that's it. I don't I don't know if he did anything else hmm. um, yeah. in British comics. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of assuming that he's from South America just based on his name. So I don't actually know. <laughs> yeah, um, I just I I, I j- j- just looks for the links in 2080.org. I'm super lazy, yeah. so <laughs> um, I'll, I'll I'll run it down more in the future, I guess. But but, but thanks because that's actually good information. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and he's quite like he's kind of he feels like he's probably an artist who'd been working in comics for a while because he knows what he's doing is quite competent but it's maybe a little bit old-fashioned mm-hmm. especially for for this period of 90s when people are trying to do you know when you've got paul grist and shaky Kane just being as weird as possible <laughs> yeah this does feel like have have kind of a yeah. like it's a suspiciously on model drawing yeah of judge Dredd. <laughs> exactly yeah that kind of like ron smith kind of feel of like you know yeah. which not even ron smith is doing now actually <laughs> but no, yeah, it's sort true. of like he's, he's, yeah. a very baseline dread here for sure um so we see a woman that's just been caught cheating on her husband being pushed in front of a train um a a munch worker gets expo- or a munch worker gets exploded and a car thief is stabbed in the eye and all of their bodies have a card that says hate ink left next to them at the hall of justice dreads told about all this apparently it's an anonymous assassination bureau and finding the people behind it is going to be tough because they're using some sort of intrusion on the phone lines to make anonymous like uh, calls and arrangements to kill people and stuff because of this, Dredd has everybody relate, like, in the phone company called in for interrogation. <laughs> there must be some kind of trace left behind. I appreciate all these, like, I like a good uh, Judge Dredd overreach kind of thing. Yeah, you know? and it's kind of unbelievable that in Mega City 1, that the phone companies wouldn't be entirely, like, controlled by the judges. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. as if they might possibly be able to have some special outside line. But <laughs> right, yeah, that, that the Justice Department wouldn't just be in control of that stuff and monitoring it all the time right. sort of yeah. <laughs> naturally you know yeah. <laughs> but then yeah and then again that you'd have a big video like you know tele- telecom company and you could just kind of say like we'll have them all interrogated like it's probably thousands of people at the very least you know yeah. or thousands of robots maybe yeah um, 
We then see the supercomputer base of Hate Incorporated itself as a bunch of dudes in black turtlenecks that apparently work there have gotten one request more than anyone else. In fact, 23% of all their calls are asking for the death of Judge Dredd. Yes, yes. The the man they hate the most. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, One says it's too risky, but man, the reward is so high, they gotta do it, and maybe they can shield themselves from uh, being caught by using outside hires, some healer-monger. Yeah. Uh, We haven't seen them for a while, I'm guessing. Well... It's weird because I feel like there were these original I, the the Ron Smith heel among us who had like the, they had like shag haircuts mm. and crab hands and stuff. These more lizardy heel among us, I feel like we I forget my t- you know I think we we'll either we're either about to see or just saw in uh, that uh, Johnny Kiss story that we just talked about. Oh, actually. that's right. Yeah, yeah. That must have been. Yeah, they must have been written at the yeah. same time. I mean, I guess John Smith and Garth Ennis are both people that obviously grew up reading and loving Judge Dredd, so they're bringing back characters that they remember from when. Yeah, they were it's definitely something a, a yeah. weird thing in the Dread Arsenal that you can kind of bring back if you need if you need monsters, yeah. basically. I mean, this one is quite a big callback because that to that one story. Like, was it the very end of the Mob Wars story when they kind of called in some Healer to kill some kind of informant? And I remember the scene of them crawling up a... Yeah, they were you know, going into a, yeah into like one of the, yeah, it, it, yeah exactly one of the ISO blocks and fighting them off. I remember that story too. I forget if it was related if it was actually one of the mega rackets or just sort of right the mega rackets a later period yeah. story. I do remember it was Ron Smith though, so and, and he did a lot of those mega racket stories at the sure, very yeah. least. Oh man, yeah, again these callbacks. Good good <laughs> annual story actually, just to have a callback like this. Mm. Um, <laughs> But so we see then Dread, and this is a little unreal or a little non-canonical because Dread's in a studio apartment checking his checking his answering machine in a, a very 1993 is, setup. But I mean, he lives in the well, basement he, he could of Rowdy be, um, Yates, cooking so some uh, microwave dinner for one at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, he's living my life like baking baking a pie in the in the oven or something. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um. When suddenly the windows of his apartment break open and a bunch of Gila who have again now morphed more into sort of uh, lizard guys with crab hands yeah, and yeah. stuff. They look pretty cool though. Like, he's done a good job. Absolutely. Yeah, they got a very sleek kind of look here. Mm. That's that's pretty nice. Um, they go to attack, but luckily Dredd's pretty tough and kills them all without too much trouble. I mean, like he does it in half a page, which I guess is more than you could ask for anybody else. Um yeah. Later, a tech does an autopsy and run down and runs down the Munga's powers. Now, Cool Dread is to fight them off, and Dread's like, "All right, like let's get going." <laughs> yeah. And it seems that Hate Inc. might be operating from like they sort of track like the contents of the Gila Munga's stomach, and then try to use that to I don't know try locate where the incursion into the vid line mm. that Hate Inc. is using anyway they gotta go to the cursed earth right in the middle of a Gila Manga nest to find it that's <laughs> the long and the short of it um, which makes you wonder why they don't go and obliterate them just anyway <laughs> I, I guess I'd imagine, like, I don't know, wiping them out. Like, like that would probably be a lot of resources for is that, something. Is that a Dan Dare move, not a Judge Dredd move? It is. It is exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, just blow the planet. What do you want? Move on. <laughs> 
you know, I mean, and honestly, like, they only really have to deal with the Gila Mongo once every five or six years, it seems like, so... That's true. Let them, uh, you know, reproduce and rebuild their numbers. Might as well, you know, whatever. Well, for all we know, they're, like, keeping some other more terrible cursed earth thing in check, so better just not to mess with the natural Ooh, balance too much. That'd you know? be a good idea for a story. <laughs> I feel like we've, you know, whatever. You try to kill a Helamungus and you get a giant spider incursion. Right. <laughs> you know, like the cursed earth's a bad spot. You got to be yeah, careful. Yeah. You, you know? don't want to mess with that ecosystem. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, so they go, fl- so they fly in on an H wagon, sort of into this Helamungus nest, fight their way through, find this uh, transcontinental ca- uh, uh, data cable. And check it out, and they find that they're like the tech analyzes the signal, but this is just a transcoder. But we are able to tra- uh, to to track the signal, and it's coming from inside Justice Central. Oh no! No, it can't be. Uh, not but it, uh, not bent judges. Uh, the worst kind, you know. <laughs> yeah, coming bunch of crooked judges. Dread takes them all down, and they're off to Titan as a tech finds the records and over two. 200 judges are involved, and now they're all going to Titan 2 right as we're about to start Purgatory, so I guess yeah. we'll be seeing them again real soon, you know. It will be back soon. And it also, like, I guess, you said they're wearing, like, black polo necks. It looks like that's, you know, they're in disguise by taking off all their pads yeah, and yeah, yeah. eagles and badges, and that's what the, the baseline uniform is. Yeah, they've taken off all their, all their accoutrement, and I guess they've got, like, I don't know, hospital slippers or something to be the little yeah. booties here, you know. <laughs> If, if if they had actually if they had worked together and had these guys wear those red socks that Dread was wearing in the kinky boots um, mm. story <laughs> earlier, that would have been some real elite storytelling in terms of hinting <laughs> hinting at who these guys were. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, hard stuff. These crooked judges, you can't trust them. But there's one judge who won't cop out when there's danger all about. I'll say that much. <laughs> and that's Thrill 7, Judge Hershey. This story is called Hovebus Bu- Blues. Script about Robbie Morrison. Art about Darren Stevens. Letting robot Gordon Robson. And this is one of the only times we'll see Darren Stevens. Um, he'll do mm. coloring for a future shock in 95. And that's about it. Um, I'm trying to remember if he was one of the artists that was in Toxic magazine. Um, which you must have heard of, even if you haven't. Yeah, yeah, it. definitely. Yeah, I just don't. That's one of the ones where I I've heard of it, but it's still very mysterious to me. It's one that I'd love to do some more. I'd I'd love to look into it at some point, just because it's so important, just in terms of like I don't know, forcing it's, 2080 to go yeah. to go color, basically. <laughs> it's way out there in terms of what it's got in it. But if it is, if he is the artist that's in it, I'm thinking of it's a, a story that runs about a guy in a giant truck that just kind of constantly runs people over and it's kind of hilarious but I mean I might just be thinking that because it's thematically very similar to this story definitely just a, <laughs> anyway uh, take it away the love of a of, of vehicle murder you know right <laughs> So uh, this story starts, and I, I, I will say that while it starts with her, she helmetless. She does actually wear her helmet for a lot of this story, which I always appreciate. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got it right. <laughs> yeah, keeping the cover on. It's dangerous out there, you know? Um, but so it seems two different brands of hoverbus are arguing over which of them picks up the citizens of Mega City One. And there's just a cutthroat world of like different 
bus brands out there, I guess. Yes, yeah, so you wait at a bus, and then if you're really unlucky, two rival bus companies come at once, and then <laughs> it's not going to go well. I mean, being in England now, I have seen a little bit of just <laughs> different transport companies using similar routes and or the, or having stops in the same place and stuff like that. But I, I have not seen a this <laughs> cutthroat yet, you know. No, I, I don't. This, yeah, I don't think this can be based on any real thing maybe it is i don't know yeah, it's weird for sure because you'd think that just the different companies would have different stops in different places you know or yeah. some or <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be municipal instead of capitalistic i guess <laughs> um anyway a driver from the rawhide company like trades paint with both the silver service and blue moon company and in a fitting way one of the, the rawhide driver indeed moons the blue moon bus and then gets bumped and he goes flying out of the vehicle and the vehicle crashes and now the whole rawhide team is like up in arms and out for revenge basically they got a, a bus posse riding out and the blue moon bus meanwhile we see them just being really pissed at like other people or people using other buses i guess like yeah. hey like brand loyalty <laughs> man you gotta pass you gotta only use ours or something like that yeah and then the silver service seems to be just one guy doing his own private bus business who isn't really paying attention to things when he misses a stop someone sticks their head out to yell at him and gets decapitated by a passing sign you gotta be careful you know so things are getting increasingly cutthroat as hershey arrives on the scene and decides to quell these crazy buses and like we just see a lot of a lot of insanity going on here like buses crashing into each other uh, some sort of bus stewardess telling people not to worry about decapitations and stuff like that and yeah she she looks pretty freaky like uh she looks a bit like one of the virtual people from wireheads this is not being put mm -hmm. together properly <laughs> yeah exactly. yeah it's weird and so eventually hershey rolls out the heavy armor destroys some of the buses and she takes down another personally by just jamming her jamming her lawgiver to some driver's mouth and stuff like that <laughs> But the heads of the Rawhide and Blue Moon bus lines are still out there. And they're just beginning a big one-on-one -on -one bus battle, basically. Bus battle for the ages, showing down <laughs> the streets of Mega City 1. And as they sort of start racing side by side, Hershey comes the other way and briefly plays a game of chicken against them, but then she bows out of the game, and the other buses continue forward, but then they go flying into a low bridge pedway, and just the top halves of the buses get all sheared off, and those guys are definitely dead. Oh, jeez. Yeah. yeah, the top halves of their bodies come off, and then <laughs> yeah, the passengers are somehow still going. <laughs> and it's tough. And then we just see Hershey's sort of surveying the damage on the bus she's in as all the passengers in there have been tossed around and they're puking all over the place <laughs> right, and stuff yeah. like that. And then you realize that this is a Judge Hershey story and not a Judge Dredd one because she doesn't arrest all the passengers for public vomiting at the end. Mm -mm. No, the only thing worse than, than waiting for a hover bus is catching one. Nah. <laughs> um, speaking of total excess did your copy have a pinup of the demolition man no i didn't get that one. Oh no so it's a one-page picture um that's listed here as demolition man but it is a character who will in fact appear in the magazine as the britsit brute who 
you, I don't think you'll have read it yet, but it'll be coming no, pretty we're, soon. No, we're getting to it soon. I wonder if that was his original. That was the Brits said Brute's original name, but they had to change it because the it's movie Demolition Man. Yeah, because <laughs> that's coming out in October '93, so a little bit later in the year here. Mm. Yeah, it must be. You know, they must have picked the name. Maybe that's what brought his attention to Judge Dredd in the first place because he wanted to sue them for stealing his name. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like we've, we've heard reports that in like the nerve center or like in letters and stuff saying that Stallone's been involved. So I don't know, but it is funny yeah. just for instance, in an early, um, in an early section in purgatory, which we're about to get to, um, they actually open a door that's locked by a retinal scan by using a stray eyeball like they do in Demolition oh, really? and stuff okay. like that. <laughs> like there's uh, very funny crossovers in the course of this, mm. I guess. God, how is Mark Miller stealing an idea from a film that hadn't come out already? <laughs> how can you do it? How is it possible? How? Anyway, yeah. So found it's, a way. Uh, um, it's a really nice picture by Nick Percival of a character who ended up going absolutely nowhere, but um, he certainly fits the mood of, of that bus comic of just total carnage. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Oh, man, these, I guess just start buying these special ones, these specials, <laughs> uh, these specials, especially because I feel like I, there is stuff in here that I'm missing and I don't appreciate it, you know, <laughs> but I appreciate you telling me about it because that's good stuff. Definitely. And speaking of uh, characters who are uh, dissatisfied with their lot in life, let's go <laughs> to Thrill 8, Cal Hab Justice. A script by Jim Alexander, Art Robot, LOL, Letting Robot, Gordon Robson. Or LOL, maybe? And I don't know. Uh, yeah, he's, he, it's LOL and... Uh... I should. Look I think it's short for. I think his first name is Lawrence, which is where the lol comes from, and I believe he's Australian. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, because I I tried to search around for this artist, and like everything I could find online just sort of says like, no, yeah, lol. That's that's who they are. It's probably not their real name. I don't know. Did some Cal have justice? Like, okay, but like you can tell me more than this. But no, they <laughs> can't. Um, yeah, I'm mean, David Bishop. Will know because he would have commissioned him, and he's. He's quite approachable. Um, oh, that's a good point, actually. I always forget that I can just talk to these people sometimes. Uh, but yeah, and if this is his first story, because this, this is the first he, time he we're seeing him, him on the podcast. One, and he does another character as well called O'Rourke, I think. But um, he's one of the ones that was like, you know, he made an already difficult to understand story impossible. <laughs> but actually, he's really like this is good like this is you know these are comics that make sense and it's by gosh the most 90s comics you've seen with <laughs> with his style of weird little urchins running around spitting on people anyway absolutely tell me the story conrad yeah well okay so a lot of there's a lot of text here because it's mostly beside the images it's told the story's told in the form of a letter from a a, a rookie britsit judge trevor williams writing back to his family he's on a six-month deployment to calhab you know um, which is of course mega city or the uh, the dread versions version of scotland mm -hmm. and the Calhav judges are treating him quite poorly, making yes. him do patrols in the rain and making fun of his, of what he of like the uh, sweatpants he's wearing under his kilt and stuff like that. Yeah, I think the uh, anti-workplace harassment culture that we're living in now has obviously not survived to the 22nd century. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this guy should see his HR rep, frankly. <laughs> like, although it's probably one of these things where like this guy with the mustache who is insulting and the worst probably is his HR rep yes, or something like definitely. that. It's one of those situations. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's 
it's even worse with the locals because we see like this like punk Bart Simpson kind of kid (laughs) (laughs) come up and just spit right on his badge and stuff like that. And old man in in another kilt, like just drops a a candy wrapper right in front of him, which, you know, I mean, we've seen it. I've seen enough Judge Dredd, certainly to know that you don't be dropping wrappers in front of judges. That'll get you in trouble. (laughs) But when the um, when the Scott won't pick the rapper up it like uh williams breaks under the pressure and he attacks this guy and starts choking him and soon he's choking him so hard that he's like uh exploded his head i think I or, like, he's like he's punched his fingers so far into his throat that he's basically given him a tracheotomy yeah gross <laughs> and it's, it's free yeah it really is and like he's just sort of this thing where they just kind of like then everybody's like standing over him he's like cradles the body is man that he's killed like please get up just pick up the wrapper oh no um and so we just see him being sent back to britsit and it's a pretty cool image actually i I like a lot we just see this like shell-shocked kid basically and he asks if he's being sent home but he's being sent to the high security britsit meat slammer instead (laughs) i guess their version of titan yeah and as they go, we just get a moment of normal Calhab protagonist Ed McBrain. And it's just his partner, uh, Buchan, sort of being like, oh, that kid only had two days. That's ridiculous. And he's like, nah, it's not madness, but I'll give you another guess. Or, or I don't know. <laughs> I think, you know, this is the one that is the most themed around hate. Mm-hmm. Being as like, yeah, the Scots hate the British and with good reason. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, you know, as with all things Judge Dredd, it's only going to get exaggerated in the future. <laughs> yeah, even yeah, in the in the future where, you know, we don't even call it Brits and Scots anymore. It's Brits and, yeah. and Calhabs. That's, That's still right. that. That <laughs> hatred runs hate. very deep yeah. for sure. <laughs> and um, I, I quite like the idea that this is like the uh, Brits equivalent of the hot dog run is to spend six months in Calhab basically doing a really pointless patrol, but somehow being sent mad anyway. <laughs> I mean, that sounds right, you know, <laughs> in terms of the similarity of things. Although hopefully it ends and it, it, there's fewer uh, civilian casualties and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 generally, I guess. By the time I sort of made it through all of Calhab Justice, I have a vague feeling that there was this subplot running that may have been introduced in the very first episode that basically everyone who lives there is kind of crazy because of like nuclear wastes that mm-hmm. we didn't bury properly in this century. So everyone's just a little bit kind of on edge and mad. And that's kind of an undercurrent to the whole series that you sort of have to keep in mind that literally everyone is like seconds away from having some kind of breakdown. I think that's, yeah, that, that's a good point about Calhav. I think, cause I think you're right. Cause they talk about yet yeah, being like when, like the, just a point where like Scotland or something just had to subsidize itself by becoming a giant nuclear waste dump or something. That's like part of the backstory of, of Calhav, I think. Mm-hmm. As well, and then everybody's drinking the like the 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 whiskey that like if you aren't Scottish, it'll age you with that, like a hundred years or something like that. Like it's right, just a, there's a lot going on. <laughs> Ghosts all over the place, as I recall, demons, etc., or weird stuff. Definitely weird stuff. Definitely weird stuff. Yeah, and then jokes <laughs> about whiskey. <laughs> yeah, and just phonetic phonetic accents. That's the key. That's and always almost key, certainly. Yeah people eating weird foods and claiming it's haggis <laughs> that's gotta that's like I've, I've i've said this a couple of times but like 
now that I'm now that I'm here in the British Isles, my like desire to try haggis is at near maximum levels. It's one, of the, it's one of these things where I feel like when I was a kid, it was such a joke punchline food. But mm. now that I've gotten into my 40s and I've learned to appreciate like savory stuff more or something like that, like you should do it. Yeah, like a bunch of bunch of weird sheep guts all in a thing. Like that doesn't sound bad, honestly. Yeah. Like whatever. Well, there's even a day, you know, if at end of January, there's Burns Night, which is, you know, you'll suddenly see haggis on sale in places where you've never seen it before. So that's right. That's right. Got to get so my my hog man on months. or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Oh no, yes. Yeah, that would be too of appropriate. <laughs> terrifying mutated uh, Mega City One dishes. Let's talk about <laughs> Thrill Nine, Carrion Carnage. Script and art robot Ilya, lighting robot Ellie DeVille, and Ilya's the pen name of Ed Hillier. Um, That's what I've just found out as well. And I, I've not heard of him, but he seems to be quite respected. In yeah, his comics career took off after this weird beginning. <laughs> yeah, he, he has worked on Crisis in the past and okay. a couple other UK comics and indie stuff. Um, and we start here at a Mega City One burger burger joint called Blimpy Burger. Uh, Blimpy Burger. Although I'll mention also that Blimpy, spelled blimp like I E at the end, is a submarines. It it is it, like a sub shop in the U S. Like a chain uh, of a, of a okay. sandwich shops. So I thought that that was kind of funny that like <laughs> in making up a brand, they've actually copied a real one in the United <laughs> States. But we see a family of six being served a giant table-sized burger, which honestly I'm intrigued by. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, just give it just a. It's a, interesting. Um, have you ever been to an Ethiopian restaurant? Um, once or twice, but I have, and I don't think I've had a giant table-sized thing. But, well, because you know. the, the, the the sort of standard dish and the ones that, that I've been to is like a basically a giant piece of kind of sort of bread-like stuff that literally does is almost as big as the table and everyone eats from it into the middle where the kind of the stuff is oh i haven't seen that in in, kind of in looks, american yeah. ethiopian places but now i'm interested to check that out because i do like that yeah. spongy bread that they have at the yeah yeah it's the, it's at ethiopian kind, places yeah. absolutely Anyway, oh, they're chucking away into this giant family-sized burger when what <laughs> should the, appear? It's the size of a whole family when yeah. somebody pulls out this weird, like, organ or so. There's this green thing with an eyeball on it, which yeah, is not good. not good. And just everybody just starts projectile vomiting everywhere. It's terrible. <laughs> just real gross. There's some real gross real parts gross. towards the end of this one, honestly. Yeah, this is this is Texas Chainsaw 2 stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But so um later judges Sabaji and Flint arrive on the scene to investigate and they pull down their helmet visors to block the smell, which is not a, a standard Mega City One power, but I'll allow it, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Um and it seems like that all of these folks that ate this, the, these burgers also died, it seems like. It's not clear to me. <laughs> yeah. definitely corpses They're not looking the well, though. No, absolutely. There's, there's someone checking them with a the Geiger counter. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> um, also, I, I guess Sabaji is a religion that forbids him from eating months, it seems like, which is weird because months yeah. are plants, I know. But, yeah, you, I, you know. I mean, I think there's something interesting to be thought of about you know, you could have a, a thing about not eating artificial food. Like that feels like it's a there's merit in that in a sort of judge dread subculture. But don't don't link it to to like being Hindu and having a no cow thing or Muslim and having a halal mm -hmm. only thing. So 
yeah, yeah that, I can see what he was going for, but he's got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, it does. This also feels like a '90s thing of just trying for some edginess here or something right. like that. Yeah. I guess. Um, and also, why is the mascot dressed up as a cow if it's months? I think that maybe the author just doesn't have the same idea of what months is meant to be. <laughs> it's definitely possible, yeah, because it's definitely a meat substitute. Although I, I guess maybe it's just cow themed. It's like a Impossible Burgers or something like that. You know, yeah. they've Being got their own taste like cow. <laughs> yeah, something. I mean, no one would know. I guess one of those, <laughs> yeah. one of those Matrix things, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. They go to talk to the boss of the restaurant, who is the mascot. And another disturbing thing here is that he says that Recyc is charging too much. They've been going to a to a black market mm. supplier, which implies that the stated thing is that this place makes human meat, I guess. Yeah, that's what, that's what months is, is from Recyc. It's like, well, no, that's yeah, not been established before. I no, don't think. no, we've seen months. It, it's, a, uh, it's a plant that grows in the cursed earth. And like it's like a melon that is distinctively shaped, kind of like a human head, basically. Mm. And so this just seems again, this is just sort of a new guy here who doesn't have the uh, if one exists has not perused the uh, the dread Bible in terms of right. like what yeah. things are what you know. I'm pretty sure that it didn't exist. Certainly, it wouldn't have gone down to the level of explaining what months is. <laughs> no, it's very much we're very much in an era where if there's if there's dread backstory stuff you want to do, it's because you've read it in the past. You happen to know it because you're a fan, like Arthas or something yeah. like that. <laughs> As opposed to like, uh, here's sort of what we do in Dread or something like that. <laughs> they give the the mascot 20 years and the judges head out to investigate. Meanwhile, in the cursed earth, we see a truck barreling through the landscape, just smash, just, you know, smashing down any mutants or creatures that cross its path and toss him in, tossing them in the back of the vehicle. And then once he's sort of got a full load, this, um, big dude with a nose ring, like, also shoots the mutants that have been helping him load things into the truck and loads them in as well. <laughs> it's like, it's all meat, I guess. Mm. <laughs> um, um, it's not great. You know? yeah. <laughs> he heads back to his base and the judges are already there investigating. They find just a giant pile of mutant animals all mashed together. I really the one that really stuck out to me in the middle of the page was this like three eyed goat that kind yeah. of reminds me of the three eyed fish in The Simpsons, maybe. <laughs> maybe I mean it's it, it's drawn really well to look really horrible, and you wouldn't want to eat it. But part of me was thinking, well, what's why would if you can eat meat, why why would a mutated sheep be any worse for you than a than a non mutated sheep? I mean, it, yeah, it feels more like. He doesn't need to be such an evil person if he's just yeah. far harvesting meat. From, In theory, yeah. yes, although this meat <laughs> seems very boil and like sort of cursed earth radiation yeah. heavy and stuff like that. That's true. Gives There's some, definitely some green things on it. You don't want to eat your meat when it's turned green. <laughs> yeah. So although generally I, I do agree that I don't, you know, in the end, there's no real reason to turn your nose up at a, at a three eyed goat versus a regular one if you're into that kind of thing or whatever yeah. else, you know. <laughs> Like, especially if you're just grinding it up into giant sausages or whatever, mm. it all ends up in the same, you know, it all ends up looking the same. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but so the judges decide to like search the place to find the real, the actual abattoir and eventually cornering this butcher guy in his meat locker. 
And there's a, there's a kind of a fun moment here where they like sort of draw down on the butcher in this meat locker, and it's so cold that their mm. word bubbles have like little uh, icicles I mean, coming off. Of it, it is cool, but you know they're there. They're saying it's time for a stakeout, and they choose to stakeout by hiding in the fridge. And you kind of think, really. They, they must have missed a week at judge school if that was their yeah. best hiding place. <laughs> Better places to hide, guys. Come on. <laughs> um, but the butcher fly, uh, fights back. He hits Sabaji with this big ham hawk. And the judge goes flying back and just a giant mutant pig falls onto his head. And at this point, he gets knocked. Sabaji gets knocked into conveyor belt. And there's like a whirring dervish thing or a whirring grinder thing that sort of destroys part of the head and like glances yeah, off yeah, his helmet, it seems like. protects him, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, you know, secondary, secondary covering or something like that. <laughs> uh, and I couldn't figure out... Oh, that's and while this is happening, I guess the butchers kill Judge Flint and he's sort of been yes. hung up. Yeah. Um, in the meat locker here. It's a little hard. To, like, it doesn't it's explain mess, why Flint is in trouble in the first place. But anyway, he's he's definitely been killed. <laughs> definitely. Um, and uh, But Sabaji and the butcher end up showing down. Get, get a pr- pretty good fight of uh, just giant meat cleaver thing versus lawgiver. And in the end, Sabaji manages to whip the butcher with this like giant, like six foot long, thick, like sausage and like wraps it around his head and knocks him down and stuff like that. And then he ends up like knock. um, They sort of fight through the um, through the slaughterhouse. The like Sabaji starts calling into control, but then the butcher does, you know, the classic horror. He sort of drowns him in a in some kind of like bathtub, but he doesn't quite drown him enough. Yeah, he does the uh, the the horror movie thing of like you think you're safe, but then he comes rises up behind you basically, and so Sabaji then like tosses him into like I think it's a a meat smoker, I guess, just based on the pun afterwards. Right. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Because he's in there, and then Sabaji calls into control troll and says uh the perp uh it's just the perp he requested one last smoke you know it's yeah. a solid post kill pun for that situation and then ends the whole thing with send the meat wagon because ah. it's just been meat 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 all the way in this story <laughs> absolutely oh, oh man and then anyway this is totally gross and this is like almost on a hicklinton level of disturbing imagery that you don't want to see absolutely just a lot of a <laughs> lot of slaughtered things a lot of dead bodies lying around and stuff and that again takes us to the mark wilkinson center mm. thing and I, with that we finished the thrills for this special finished. oh my gosh oh my God, yeah, there's a lot of thrills that's a lot to love and a lot to hate absolutely all right so with that We've completed the 1993 Judge Dredd Mega Special. There's a lot to love, maybe a lot to hate, but I got to know, Alex, what are your top and bottom thrills? Top and bottom stories for this thing. Uh, Top story, I'm going to go for, I can't remember what it's called, Science King Pest Control. Oh, nice. Which is the the shaky cane story that is kind of loopy, but I just, I'm in love with the art and the kind of bizarreness. And I guess it's kind of interesting that the only angle that's really, I mean, it's a mega city story, but the judges feature because there's this girl that kind of has this fancy of a judge as a lover. Um, but yeah, it's just the kind of, you know, the, the machinery, the poses. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a shaky cane fan. So 1993 is a good time to be a magazine and 2008 reader. <laughs> 
Fantastic. Uh, and I would say I actually had a quite a hard time choosing bottom because I kind of like pretty much all the stories in this special, really. Like, there's something about all of them that's, that's, you know, worth sort of being happy about. Even the tech story is not, you know, is one of the better ones that I've actually ever bothered to read. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of, it was a toss-up for me between the, the, the young love, a strange case, which is, you know, the kind of the serial killer couple mm-hmm. that I didn't really get. But I think I'm going to go for um, the super gross meat murder story carrion carnage as my <laughs> as my my bottom because yeah because i guess it disrespects whatever months is and i don't like the idea of him sort of trying to shoehorn in uh, a judge with a non-specific indian surname and sort of having a whole you don't eat this kind of food thing but i will appreciate the kind of the the art which you know, is the same guy who did the writing and the art and there's one particular panel where this weird serial killer butcher type holds his two rings over his eyes and he makes his rings look like eyes and it's really oh, yeah, creepy. It is cool. Yeah, definitely. And there's, you know, if you like kind of eighties meat abattoir based horror movies, like Texas Chainsaw two or what's it? Um, Razorback. That's a really gnarly abattoir film. If you like that sort of thing. So yeah, <laughs> but no, <laughs> as a judge dread story, it's, this is my, that's my bottom. And, and Conrad, please tell me what did you love and what did you hate? Oh, man. I think for my bottom story, I might go with Young Love, actually, just because it felt kind of half-baked, I guess. Like, in a, just in, a, in I wish there had they had done a little bit more just to kind of go with the different themes or something like that, I guess. Mm. Like, I would have loved a story that was more like these two people want to go on like a rampage but they they keep when they plan to do it like they keep finding that someone else has already beaten them to it or something like that yeah yeah that like, could have been fun <laughs> that could have been just a, a play on the prevalency of the serial killer stuff yeah. in like the early 90s or something you know so like oh we tried to kill these guys but whatever they'd already you know there was a line or something like that <laughs> just all these different yeah. things that i feel like it's that could have been a good joke i but yeah as it is, there just wasn't enough en- enough there, especially enough to justify the end they tried to have, I guess. Yeah. Um, for my top, I will. I don't know. I'm thinking about it, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Like, I I kind of like the Avengers story just because it was so silly with like the shoes and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, he does draw some nice boots. Yeah, and like I kind of like the hate ink one just because i don't know that one feels like the most standard dread story i guess yeah, yeah in kind of a weird annual but i think i might in the end actually join you and say science king pest control um as my nice. top story because like you i i really like the art and i think that this was really in a way that i think some of these other shaky cane ones have because it's such a relatively like small and simple story it gives him a chance to really kind of like i don't know get we like like do stuff with the art i guess i really liked a lot of like the science like the you know kirby tech like science yeah. stuff for all these guys i thought like the poses and the look for the, the, the looks the female characters were were mm. pretty solid in a uh you know what you're kind of looking for for a like love themed comic i guess um yeah and i thought it was just sort of a fun little story and one of these like you know uh, these wacky mega citizens or something yeah <laughs> i mean yeah. it's a bit weird that they didn't both all get arrested for using illegal technology at the end so they went with the the 1950s fly homage instead but you know yeah definitely yeah it was weird that yeah they, 
no one got arrested. There didn't really seem to be puns related to the city blocks <laughs> and stuff, which are both sort of inter- like oh, weird that makes choices, sense. I guess. Uh, he is, he's definitely someone who... He likes to go down some sort of deep, obscure rabbit hole. So I'm sure Carl uh, Putnam and William Potter have some kind of relationship to each other. But I'm damned if well, I know what it is. Yeah, please, like, if, if you know, let let me know and I'll feel bad for not figuring it out <laughs> right. You know, that's how it goes. <laughs> awesome. All right. Another successful special yeah. review. Thank you so much, Alex. You're welcome. And um, yeah, you've not got that many specials to go before Tharg no. decides that it's just not worth it. Yeah, only only a couple more years left, I think. Yeah. yeah. And I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or podcast site, BigMegOne.com. Feel free to contact us at BigMegOne at gmail.com and the 2000 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. For all those, check out Big Meg One with one written out and you'll find us. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash and That's our podcast network. And you can receive a ton of excellent rewards. And then come back here next time as we have a bit of a, of a relaunch for the magazine with all new stories from Judges Anderson, Hershey, and Dread, as well as the new stories, Hark and Burr and Missionary Man, which I'm both really excited about. Oh, yeah. This is, this is a good time. Absolutely. And Alex, where can we find your amazing blog? Uh, Heroes of 2000AD.blogspot.com um, or on the 2000AD forums. Fantastic. And I'll link to those in the show notes or I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Fantastic. Thank you. And thank you so much for coming along on one of these special adventures. Adventures no in specials. Love that 90s Judge Red magazine. Definitely, yeah. Got a little <laughs> bit more of it to go, for sure. Anyway, come back next time. And until then, I'm Conrad Bear Alex, and we are Big Meg One. Drock it. Drock it.